You're listening to The Product Edge, and I'm Jade Bennett, Australia's leading product management recruitment expert, founder of Middleton Executive, and a professional development and mindset coach. In this podcast, I take you on a journey into the minds of exceptional product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, and hustlers. In each episode, I introduce you to experts in their field, and my mission is to help every product professional level up and reach their full potential by providing you with the skills, insights, and tools that you need to excel in your career and gain your product edge. Joining me today is Julie Staravoitoa. Julie is on a mission to build human-centric, high-performing, transparent, and positive organizational cultures. Over the span of her career, she has been working with senior leaders across different industries, including tech, retail, and logistics, to intentionally craft workplace environments where employees can thrive and the organizations perform at the highest level. With a background in positive psychology, one of Julie's core beliefs is that work can and should be enjoyable and rewarding. And that happens when you set your people up for success and create an environment where they can do amazing work. This year, Julie was named one of Australia's most innovative people and culture leaders by HRD Australia. Today, we're going to be discussing psychological safety and how we can build high-performing teams. Welcome to the Product Edge, Julie. Thanks, Jade. Thank you. Julie, you've got such a fascinating background and career to date. Beyond what I've just mentioned, can you give us a, a bit of an overview of your background and experience to date? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was I was thinking about uh, about that as you were actually reading about my background, and um, I've always, since childhood, I always wanted to work with people, and I always said I didn't know what that's going to look like, but I always said I'm going to do something that uh, will lead me to working with people. And uh, you know, I guess <laughs> looking at it now, that's definitely something that has come true. I started my career initially in the talent acquisition space and really enjoyed doing that. And while I was doing that for a few years, I realized that I have this real curiosity for what happens next? What happens when you bring that amazing talent? And how do you ensure that you set them up for success and really help unleash um, their potential? And um, so that led me to move to more generalist uh, roles, I guess something that traditionally would be called generalist HR and really focusing on that people experience side. And uh, I've um, looked after people experience uh, on the product and uh, engineering side at Papercut, then took on a role um, to head up people and culture at Sleeping Duck. Um, And currently I'm working with a number of different businesses, supporting them with their um, people experience and building out those high-performing organizations. And uh, as you've mentioned in um, your introduction, uh, I've during my journey, I've developed this real passion and then went on to learn a lot um, around positive psychology. And that's definitely something that has really tremendously guided my life, but also the principles uh, of positive psychology is something that I bring into the organizations that I work with as well. Fantastic. So what sparked the curiosity into positive psychology? Obviously, having the TA and people experience background, where did that where did that passion ignite? You know, um, it's very interesting. When I moved to more generalist roles, something that I observed was that sometimes you will have 
two people who work in the same organization. They might even be in the same team and even doing the same job. And yet their experience or perception of their experience would be completely different. And it made me wonder, how is that possible that one person is looking at something that maybe is a bit challenging, but they have that sense of agency. They're kind of looking at it as an opportunity. And overall, it doesn't seem to impact them that much. And you take another person who's going through exactly the same thing. And of course, there's also other factors, their background, family, and you know, all that. But still, kind of the reality of their work situation is very, very similar. And yet they might be reacting in a completely different way. And this is where my interest uh, for mindset and how do we rewire our neural pathways to look at things in a different way and the fact that you can choose how you react to situations and there's a lot of things that are in your control really um, led me on that path because I saw that a lot of that actually has to do with that high performance element as well. Absolutely. And it's interesting you touch on um, agency, high agency there. That's something that's come up a lot in my career and, you know, having interviewed thousands of people over the last two decades and helping, well, being fortunate enough to help people actually progress their career from product manager to lead product manager to now CPO level positions. You know, the common factor there and the pattern that I see is that high agency um, and taking challenges and, and embracing them and working through them, which again is a whole um, different conversation in itself. I'm sure we could talk about high agency all day long. Um, but do you see that as fundamentally uh, an important trait in in individuals to, to this positive psychology? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think... That is so critical because at the end of the day, the key thing that helps us go through challenges in life is the belief that there's something that we can do about it. That element of helplessness, and you know, there's even this term called learned helplessness, where you kind of just condition yourself to thinking that there's nothing that you can do in that situation, is what often leads to people um, feeling like a real victim of circumstances. And um, you know, I don't want to discredit the fact that sometimes it's truly difficult and awful things that happen, but you can always find examples of people who moved through that and even became stronger. And again, you know, we can talk a lot about all that. There's even, you know, everybody knows about a term PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also a different term that I learned about in positive psychology is post-traumatic growth. And actually that there is also the flip side of that, and we don't talk as much about it, that actually uh, for some people who are able to move through that uh, in a way that is less destructive and with that sense of agency is that um, negative experiences do lead to transformations and a lot of growth and uh, don't even lead to, I guess, that uh, buildup of trauma that we may see in some other cases as well. Absolutely. Fascinating. So look, on the side of psychological safety, it's a popular term within business at the moment. But I'm really keen to to break it down and and define it because I think everyone's interpretation or definition is is a little bit different. So, what does psychological safety mean to you? So, psychological safety effectively refers to an environment where people feel safe to take interpersonal risks, and what I mean by that is that they feel 
comfortable and safe enough to be themselves uh, to ask something that might be perceived as a silly question, maybe solicit some feedback, suggest an idea, uh, basically speak up without a fear of repercussions or negative consequences to their role, to their career, to their reputation. They feel like, you know, they're not going to be humiliated. Um, and an analogy that I personally resonate with is, you know, sometimes people say, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. And, you know, when you hear that, it's a definite sign that they're not in a psychologically safe environment. And when I think about psychological safe environment in the context of this analogy, it is, there's no eggshells there. You can walk bare feet and you will feel safe that you're not going to get hurt. And effectively, that's that's what psychological safety means for me. Fantastic. And with that, how much of that comes down to the individual versus the business environment? Like, can businesses are striving to create psychologically safe workplaces? But is it possible for one person to feel psychologically safe in the same environment and somebody else not? That's a really good question. And honestly, I would love to read more research on that because I agree. I think a lot of the conversation is at the moment, at least, is around how do you create a psychologically safe environment? And I guess if we wind down back to my point earlier, you can have people, you know, two people in the same environment feeling very different things. And again, not to kind of go too deep into that, but it's not uncommon for people to bring the trauma from a previous organization to the current one where they might actually be experiencing something um, that they've experienced previously and kind of bringing that in. So I do think that it is possible. But in saying that, coming back to that sense of agency, it's no point focusing on that. You can't control how other people react. But as a leader and as an organization, there are lots of things that you can do that will increase your chances of everybody feeling as psychologically safe as possible um, in your team. And, you know, I think that's where it's prudent to focus on that um, rather than kind of thinking, well, you know, is it possible that people might experience in a different way? Okay. And again, you know, I think when we look at really toxic environments. Again, some people might be impacted more by it and some people might be impacted less by it. But on the whole, you'll still see a performance that's not as um, strong as it could be if the environment was different. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that um, leaders can focus on to make sure that they are creating this psychologically safe environment? That's a really good question. And look, I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is that um, there's never one single thing that you can do that is going to um, create a psychologically safe environment. And actually, there's never a silver bullet when it comes to building culture and actually everything in life. You know, you want to get fit. You don't expect to go to the gym and do one massive workout and then suddenly uh, achieve your goals there. So it's exactly the same thing here. And I'm a really big advocate that small things done consistently lead to really strong results over time. So coming back to your question around what are some of those things, um, you know, again, there's a few different ones, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe cover a couple um, and a very practical and very specific. 
So first one is, I do think that it's important to focus on building trust. And ideally, you want to build that trust with your team before they have to tell you something really difficult. You know, do you want to make it easier on them? So creating time for getting to know your team on a personal level is something that is incredibly important. And again, sometimes people may feel like, well, is this a waste of time? You know, we need to talk about work and especially, you know, something that you and I talked about prior to hit record button that at the moment, there's a lot of pressure on kind of being productive and ROI and all that. So, you know, there's potentially an element of that, you know, am I wasting time? But actually, there's a lot of evidence that shows that teams that know each other on a personal level perform better, the work gets done quicker. And the same thing, you know, if you've taken that time to build that trust early on, if there is something challenging that comes up, it is way more likely that your team will feel more safe to raise that with you when that happens. So that absolutely, you know, and again, this can be a very small thing on a practical level. That's when you have your one-on-one taking, you know, first few minutes to just talk about life and genuinely ask how the person is doing, implementing some little kind of, I don't know, check-in questions during your team meetings where, you know, before you actually talk about business, there's a little bit of time to uh, do a bit of that bonding and connection. You know, again, these are not difficult things, but, um, you know, that's something that makes a big difference. So that's number one. Number two, proactively solicit feedback. I am a big believer that you can't just say, oh, you know, any questions or my door is over, always open. And, you know, if you have any concerns or any feedback, come and talk to me because yes, maybe somebody will do that, but most people are not going to do that. So as a leader, you really do have to make sure that you are being proactive around soliciting that. And again, very simple things that um, you need to do is ask specific questions. So rather than just a, does anyone have any feedback or do you have any feedback for me or does anyone have any concerns, uh, narrowing it down. So first of all, kind of moving from that open yes or no question to a more specific one, what concerns do you have? Uh, That's a very simple shift, but it does make a difference. Equally, in terms of feedback, when you're asking for feedback, what feedback have you got in relation to X, Y, and Z rather than a general one. Um, if you want some feedback about yourself as a leader, again, it might not be the safest thing for people to just tell you something that you're not doing as well, um, especially when it's sort of past behavior related. So asking for this term kind of called feed forward rather than feedback. So asking what's the one thing I can do to be a better leader or to better support you next time. That makes it a lot safer for someone Um, to talk to you about what they need without them feeling like they're telling you that you've failed somewhere. The other element when you do proactively ask for that feedback is to be grateful when you receive it. And again, you know, people often talk about feedback as a gift, you know, but what does that actually mean? Um, What that means is that when someone gives you a gift, you say thank you. Even if you don't really like the gift, you don't really need the gift, you don't necessarily tell that to the person. So you may choose to not actually take that feedback on for whatever reason, but you do say thank you for um, 
for someone gift, gifting it to you in a way, right? So I think that's a really important element. You really only have one chance to do this right. If you react poorly to the feedback that you've been asking for or get defensive, it's going to be very hard for you to get that person to do that again because it's a personal risk that they've taken. You know, coming back to that psychological safety element, it's a personal risk that they've taken and suddenly it didn't work out. You didn't react the way that they expected it to. So that's a really important element. Um, so that's that's true. Um, third one is being vulnerable. And, you know, I don't love that word just because I feel like everybody's talking about it. But you do, you, you can't necessarily expect people to take that interpersonal risk if you present yourself as this perfect godlike figure who never makes a mistake and who never gets anything wrong. So being a human being and being um, having that humility to admit when you were wrong, when you made a mistake, when you don't know something, um, you're modeling that right behavior. It's not it's not okay for you to say, well, it's it's fine for all of us to make mistakes, but you know, you're the only one who never seemed to make to make one. So that's a really important one. And maybe the final one, don't want to bombard the listeners, uh, would be recognizing great work and ideally doing that in public as well. That creates a huge sense of psychological safety. It's a lot easier to then First of all, for you as a leader to give someone feedback when maybe some work wasn't done to the same level of standard in a way where the whole world doesn't fall apart for the team member and they feel like, well, you know, I've also have had multiple examples of when I've done something really well. But also overall, it creates that sense of mutual respect, that positivity and um, that recognition of great work um, definitely contributes to to the sense of psychological safety, let alone just in general, a nice, lovely environment to be a part of as well. Great, great points there. I love the point around um, feed forward. And um, we've talked about that previously. And that's something that I've implemented at Middleton Exec with, with my team. You, you're right. It's very general to say what feedback do you have for me? And as the business owner, as as the leader, it's hard to get feedback. And I have found that simple shift in feed forward. What can I do? One thing I can do better for you going forward. And, I, and I'm getting some really good um, feedback from that. So uh, I love that one. And such a good reminder, Julie, about the trust and, and taking the time. I think um, as a, a new mum returning to work, trying to juggle a baby at home and trying to run a business in reduced hours has been a challenge. And um, I've definitely fallen short of perhaps, you know, taking the time to to do the check-ins and the the soft caring stuff, so to speak. And um, when I'm in, I'm, I'm in. And sometimes I can fall victim of, hey, let's just get it done. So that's a really, really good reminder. Mm. And, you know, that's one of those things as well that I always want to be mindful of as well, that everything we're talking about is kind of you know, it's in the in the perfect world. That's what you do, you know, day in, day out. But also 
you know, we have to be kind to ourselves and recognize that, you know, there's times when that's not possible and you do have to prioritize things and you do have to be pragmatic and hopefully, um, you know, just the way of how you present with your team and, you know, from everything even that in our conversations and what you post online, you're being so vulnerable, you know, coming back to that point and sharing those challenges that I guarantee you that your team responds and resonates and understands that a lot more because I guess there's that human element where you're already kind of opening up and sharing, hey, you know, this is why this has been more challenging and more tricky. And, you know, that actually in itself builds trust as well. That may be in a slightly different way, but it still does. Absolutely. And it's just that reminder that it doesn't matter if you're a junior member in the team or the founder or business owner or a leader we're all human. We all make mistakes. We're all learning. And um, like you said, it's, there's not a, a silver bullet. There's not a one size fits all. And it's not, oh, well, we do that and it's done. It's it's every day. It's it's always evolving, right? Yeah, for sure. It's that ongoing work day in, day out. <laughs> Absolutely. So creating these psychologically safe environments how does that go on to to create high performing teams? What what are you seeing sort of the correlation and, and the data around that? Great question. Um, you know, first of all, it absolutely a psychologically safe team leads to a team that's more creative and innovative. And that's something that I often use when working with leaders. You know, innovation is a really big um Thing on most leaders' agendas, you know, organizations often talk about how in order for them to stay competitive and to continue to succeed in the environment that's changing rapidly uh, and where there's a lot of competition, you do have to innovate. And I think even on a very practical level, if you imagine a team where people are hesitant to speak up, to question something, where they're not sure whether they should say that or not, even to think about the amount of energy they need to spend on thinking and kind of either massaging the message or even going back and forth in their head around, oh, do I say this? Do I not? Is this person going to respond well to it? Versus a team where there's that free flow of communication and people feel safe and comfortable and not scared to question something, to speak up, to suggest an idea. Maybe one of these ideas is silly and kind of no one um, goes all, goes along with it, but then another one turns out to be this, you know, $100 million product idea and things like that, you can already feel that, you know, there's no, it's like you don't even need real kind of research into it. I'm putting kind of inverted commas into here because that just feels like such common sense. There's a huge difference in that output in terms of innovation and creativity that you'll notice. Absolutely. Um, the other element, uh, and, you know, I guess some, one point that I want to say is that when I talk about people feeling safe around uh, speaking up, it's not about, it's not the same as just saying whatever is on your mind without a consideration and coming across rude or, you know, any of that. There's no excuse for that. It's not, you always should take the time to consider how you deliver a message or I'm a big advocate of feedback. And if you do give somebody feedback, it is important that you prepare for it and you try and make sure that your message sounds um 
objective and you know you've thought it through it's not it's not about that but it is about i guess that decision even before that where you think about well is it even worthwhile should i even bother what if it's going to be risky is this going to impact me in some way that that's that key difference another element um around how psychological safety contributes to high performance is um, communication aspect again you can think about you know and I feel like I've touched on this a little bit um when talking about creativity and innovation but effectively the team will communicate a lot more um, efficiently and um positively as well so you know the flow of that communication so then the speed that the work gets done with uh, is definitely much higher than the team where there isn't you know the psychological safety is not as high. The other aspect flow on effect of that is also better decision making, right? We often talk about how healthy conflict is um, actually something that's really important in the teams that produce superior product or, you know, may not be a product, basically superior outcome. And um, you can't make great decisions if you don't have all the inputs, right? And uh, if people don't feel comfortable to raise something or to say something, you don't have the full picture. So again, you kind of get that flow on effect. So there's actually some really tangible things that can really uh, be measured and, and and felt as well. Absolutely. And as you're talking there and you're talking about communication and innovation and, you know, it's the on the agenda for CEOs and, and founders, inevitably comes from, from the team ideas. I started thinking about a, a concept that got a bit of media attention last year and was that quiet quitting. And 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 I've been thinking about that a lot and and what it means. And and it's not just, you know, someone just rocking up nine to five, checking out and, and doing that. But if the quiet quitting is doing the bare minimum and not contributing to to innovation and not con- um, contributing to conversations and communicating ideas and stuff, that quite quitting concept in my mind feels like a pretty toxic um behavior have have you thought about that have you considered sort of what that might sort of impact businesses how that could impact businesses yeah for sure you know i think a lot of you know there's this kind of other term that's called discretionary effort and it's effectively you know how much people are caring and kind of willing to do something that you know, it's not even going above and beyond, but it's actually that point around, can I even be bothered to speak up and raise a concern about a concern about this project or about this decision we are making? Or do I sort of just not care? And, you know, there could be different uh, reasons why you not care. It may not just necessarily be only related to psychological safety. It might be that I actually just don't believe in what we're doing or um you know i don't think you know i've got this experience that all the things that we we do they take really long time and you know there's no clarity and there's there's all these other aspects but 100% you know that quiet quitting again when we talk about the organization kind of in its ideal state is the is a high performing team where there's a lot of energy within that right people are excited and Again, it doesn't mean that every day they sort of come in and, you know, but they're working towards something that unites them. There's a common goal. They're 
they they're willing to spend their energy to debate things, to maybe disagree on something, to then put the effort to try something. And then if it fails, they kind of support each other and then keep going and continuing on. When I think about that quiet quitting, for me, it's kind of just this, I for some reason kind of visualize this very dull and sort of very, um, I don't know. It's like, it's not a dead environment, but it's kind of, it's just, it just lacks energy and people come in and there's sort of like this, oh, you know, sigh and I don't want to be here kind of thing, which really scares me like overall kind of in general is why I, I guess I do what I do is I think about how work is our life. You know, it is a really big part of our life and we have such a limited time on this earth that when people talk about this kind of notion of work in the context of this is something to be endured and I have no energy after it, you know, and kind of during it. It's very scary. It's very scary. And again, you know, not to, I don't want anybody to feel bad, you know, about their work if they don't every morning spring out of bed. Like that's absolutely normal. Even if you love what you do, you have days or periods where it's a tough slog. That's normal. But kind of in general, overall, you want to hopefully, you know, most people should strive to be in the environment where in general, they don't even want to quite quit, you know, because they feel like they're, they're, they're part of their tribe. They're part of the organization where, uh, you know, they feel like it's not just the paycheck that they're getting. You know, there's other kind of elements that come in, that social connection, that growth, learning, sense of achievement. There's actually quite a lot of other uh, aspects that are very critical to our psychological health that we can get out of uh, work itself as well, or job, you know, our jobs. Absolutely. And, and that was, you know, one of the reasons why I started Middleton Executive was, you know, for us, it's not about placing people in roles. It's about connecting them with meaningful employment where they can be their best selves and they're passionate and excited about what they're working on because success isn't just your paycheck. It isn't a position title. There's so many variants to it. And that what you just said there around enduring work, it, it, you shouldn't have to endure work. And, you know, you have the conversation with someone and they're like, how are you? oh, thank, thankfully it's Friday or not too bad for a Monday. And you think, really? That's that's how you're feeling? Like you're not jumping out of bed? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's scary. And I often feel like, why are you, like, why are you not mortified? Why are you not changing anything about it, you know? And actually something, you know, I really love what you said there about, you know, finding that meaningful connection because I do think, and, you know, there's actually quite a lot of um, data on that also is where, someone who's a real high performer in one environment could actually be an underperformer in a different environment. And that's absolutely normal. You know, when we think about relationships, um, you know, sometimes people don't get along, but it's not because they're kind of bad individuals, you know, they could be great people, but they're just not right for each other. And it's the same thing in terms of the organizations. And, you know, some people uh, suit one environment and, you know, but something else won't won't really work for them. Some people thrive in large organizations. Others, you know, like yourself, go and start, you know, their own business and then kind of build it from there. There's so many different variations. And I am absolutely certain that it is possible to find, um, again, your tribe and kind of a place where, 
you know, you feel fulfilled and it feels like you belong there in, in, you know, in many ways and kind of, yeah, absolutely that, that sort of those phrases around, uh, you know, not too bad for a Monday or, you know, oh, it's Monday kind of thing. That's, uh, yeah, I think if you're feeling that way, there's absolutely an opportunity to do some soul searching and to try and think about what will it take to not feel like that at least every week, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about high performing teams and, and look, everyone's definition of success is different. Um, definition of high performing teams is different from business to business, but, but there are obviously some, some fundamental attributes of what a high performing team would look like. What, what are they? Good question. And, um, you know, when I think about it, I always feel like there needs to be two kind of main uh, maybe perspectives or lenses on that. Um, One of them is uh, organizational. And what I mean by that, or kind of structural where you need to have some things in place that will enable that high performance within that team. And coming back to my earlier point, sometimes you could also have people with very high high potential uh, to be a high performer, but they're in the environment that is just not enabling that. And in that sense, you won't have a high performing team, even if you have individuals uh, who've got all the potential to be high performers. So from an organizational standpoint, um, there's a few things. Um, First of all, clear goals. The team needs to know what they're working towards, you know, and kind of having that North Star that um, is very clear. If there is no clarity of what we're doing, why we're doing and uh, how we're going to get there, um, that you can't expect high performance. Um, Absolutely. You know, psychological safety, of course, um, you know, we spoke about this uh, for the majority of this conversation so far, so I'm not going to go into huge detail um, within that. Um, Also, strong leadership. And again, they're kind of all interconnected. You know, a strong leader will do a lot around um, clarity of goals and psychological safety, but also that respect, um, respect and trust. And um, complementary strengths and diversity of thought. I think that's also a really important element um, of a high-performing team. And again, there's a lot of uh, data that shows that diverse teams do perform better, particularly if all these diverse individuals have a voice and are able to contribute and kind of, you know, uh, we can rewind back to all of our talks about psychological safety and people's ability to contribute. So that's that. That's kind of, I guess, on that organizational and system level. Uh, But also, coming back to the very beginning of our conversation, um, also things that um, are on the individual as well, you know, from that high performance perspective. Firstly, um, the person absolutely needs to have the skills to be able to do uh, what needs to be achieved. Um, You know, I mean, if you put me currently in the engineering team and expect me to write code, I'm going to be a terrible performer and the team's performance is going to suffer because I'm not really going to contribute in the way that, you know, I might be expected. Um, That personal accountability element is really big as well. Again, I think there's, you know, there's vice versa. You can have a high performer who's not set up for success, but you can also have an environment of really strong leader, clear goals. You could have a really great team dynamic, but, you know, there could be someone who doesn't necessarily take that accountability, who 
uh, maybe doesn't have the motivation, kind of doesn't really care. I think it's important to acknowledge that whilst there's a lot that the organizations and the leaders can do um, to foster that, and sometimes those things are absolutely connected, but it's important to acknowledge that it's not 100% on the organization and the leader as well. You know, there's, there's two people in the equation here and the team member brings their own self to it as well. And absolutely having that sense of uh, personal accountability, responsibility, kind of willingness to learn and grow and all of that, um, you know, and, and you want that within every team member in that team, the combination of those two sort of individual and organizational factors would create absolute magic uh, in terms of that high performance. Absolutely. And I'm a huge believer in accountability and setting teams up for success, but there does get a point where there's only so much a business leader can do or an owner. What what are one or two things that you think individuals can can do to to make sure that they're thriving in their careers? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, look, I think from an individual point, um, something that I often advocate for and talk a lot about is um, that power of self-reflection. So a lot of our learning theories talk about that most of the adult learning happens when um, not during the experience, but actually when we take take a step back and reflect on that experience. Um, so the uh, reflective practice also helps us develop our self-awareness and the more self-aware we are, the uh, better uh, individuals we are in terms of how we show up in the world, um, you know, and that has a really tremendous impact on our relationships, how we interact with our colleagues. Um, also, that's where that personal accountability element comes in. You know, you're less likely to be um, the victim. You're more likely to be a lot more um, objective, although, you know, we all see the world through our subjective lens. There's not really that concept of pure objectivity, but, um, you know, you are able to put yourself in another person's shoes. Um, so, you know, taking that time to reflect um, on yourself and uh, your actions and your experiences is, I think, a really, really um, incredible practice and really transformative for for individuals. Um, also, I think, you know, it's kind of maybe uh, a little bit adjacent to that, but um, thinking about the responsibility that you can take in this situation, you know, there's this exercise that I personally like to do, especially when something is challenging, is um, drawing two circles. One circle is the circle where I write down everything that I can't control about this situation, all the things that, you know, this outside uh, outside of my influence. And then another circle is all the things that I can do and I can control and kind of really making sure that, you know, the things that I can't do anything about, I can sort of look at them and understand that, well, it's a complete waste of my energy to, to think about that and to worry about that. But here is a whole lot of things that I can do that can help. And, you know, very practical example I can share is during the beginning of the um, 
pandemic. I was so scary. Everyone was just nobody knew what was going on. And uh, I think that was, you know, now we can kind of look back at it and um, kind of see, you know, and it's and it's a lot easier when you know that, oh, okay, we've gone through it. But at the time it felt like, well, is this even ever going to end? So writing down that, okay, I can't do anything about the virus, for example, you know, and uh, kind of what happens and the lockdowns and all that, like all these things. But then here are the things, you know, I can go and get vaccinated. I can make sure I wash my hands, you know, multiple times a day. Like I wear a mask everywhere, you know, all those kinds of things. Like I go for walk every day to look after my mental health and all that. And suddenly you have a plan in place that you kind of think about, okay, I can shift my attention to um, the things that I can focus on. And again, you know, when we talk about this um element of personal accountability and kind of agency, it helps you to get that agency back. So, you know, when we talk about individuals and how you can grow in your career, uh, a lot of it is about, you know, kind of that reflection and getting to know yourself, understanding what is it that you want and then kind of working towards achieving that and sort of doing a couple of these things, I think really um, would be very, very impactful. Great tips for individual accountability there. My my follow-up to that would be in the current climate and the macro conditions at, at play, potentially a lot of people are feeling uncertain um, about their job security and, and a million other things. Are there one or two things that leaders can do to to help sure, help ensure that their teams are are thriving and and feeling more secure? For sure. And um, first thing that I want to say about what not to do, and that is not to give people that false sense of security. Uh, now, you know, unless you're 110% certain that your organization is not going to do layoffs or, you know, you know exactly what's going to happen in the next, you know, whatever time frame it is, um, do not promise that. Um, you know, I think, well, first of all, you know, you could actually um, break that trust uh, very easily if that's not the case. And, you know, you give people that false hope and you feel like maybe you're doing, you know, something that's helping them, but actually it's not. Um, also, often people will feel like, well, how do you even know kind of thing, you know? So in that sense, and you would, you would contribute to creating trauma if then uh, something was to happen. So that's kind of, I guess, in terms of what not to do, because I think it can be very tempting in the moment as a leader to kind of jump in with sort of like everything's going to be fine kind of thing. But you don't you don't know. You don't know. So, you know, I think it's important to um, be comfortable to actually sit in that for yourself as a leader as well. Um, but practically in terms of what to do, I think number one is. Being open and transparent, uh, I think, is really important. And this is where I think, uh, you know, that vulnerability piece comes in. And again, it's definitely not in a context of, oh, my God, I have no idea what's happening. You don't want to stress your team out and kind of come across that you don't know what you're doing. Uh, but also being um, honest around what the environment is, what the situation is, um, and balancing the um, message of reality with then focusing the energy on what can you do 
as a team, you know, again, speaking about what's in your control, like the economy is not in our control. We might not be in the control of, um, you know, what's going to happen to the market and, you know, interest rates and all those other aspects, right? And I think it's um, normal and it's a positive thing if you as a team acknowledge that and talk about that. And there's a really important step there as well, kind of after being open and honest and talking about it, it is creating that space for people to voice their fears and concerns um, and being, uh, I guess, like a container for that. Uh, I think listening is something that is very underappreciated and maybe undervalued. And quite often, listening is the best gift you can give to someone. You don't want people in your team bottling those concerns up. And it doesn't mean, and I think that's where it's very important that if someone says, I'm very concerned about my job security, very important that you don't jump in with saying you hundred percent going to be fine kind of thing. You know, this is where I think for us uh, as a leader, you can, you can actually feel that it'd be very hard to sit with that, with the person. Um, but doing that on really on a very practical level, hearing them out and being with them in that situation and being empathetic is something that's really helpful and can have very um, transformative impact on how people are feeling and also your relationship with them. And after you've given them that space, then you move the team towards that, okay, what can we control? What can we focus on? That's, um, you know, something that we can actually do, you know, focusing on our projects. How can we make sure that we continue to deliver the best service that we can to our customers, you know, kind of all of those aspects around effectively you're being honest and open about the situation. You're creating space to share the concerns and don't let them bottling up, but you also don't allow people to get stuck in that space. And then you move through the sort of more proactive, what are we going to do about it kind of phase. Really great advice there. And then last question. Um, I think it's fair to say that all business owners and all leaders, you know, strive and want to create a high-performing culture. Are there any rituals that you've seen from your experience um, and your expertise that that lend itself really well to creating that that culture? Yeah, look, there's lots and lots, um, but um, I'll pick a few that I feel are incredibly important and um you know we actually spoke about pretty much all of them in some shape or form throughout this conversation so i think they'll fit quite well uh first one is creating that space uh, for reflection for your team you know i spoke about how reflective practice can be a really transformative uh, practice for individuals growth so as a leader you can um, help facilitate that for your people and um really help promote that learning within within your team. And again, you know, if I think about our current environment, we have to help our people be adaptive. Um, you know, it's not the times where you come in and your job is going to be the same for the next 20 years, right? Things change. We all have to evolve and do things we've never done before. So that reflective practice is something that's really important. And, you know, it it actually really helps in terms of uh, having those uh, regular feedback conversations in the context of that and uh, kind of really um, having that constant ongoing dialogue um, around performance expectations and learnings and, and things like that. Second one is creating um, time for celebrating and acknowledging wins. And that's incredibly important if you want to have a, a high-performing team. 
And, you know, again, I want to be really clear that it's not about ignoring the challenges or the problems. Um, but, you know, we do have um, a bias to negativity as, as human beings. There is that element where from a survival standpoint, we'd pay more attention to something that potentially might harm us. Um, so it's very important that as a leader, you create time and space to balance it out. Again, you know, if you, um, if you're cut, if you know, you interacted with 10 customers and nine gave you glowing reviews and one uh, left you a terrible review, it's very likely that nine of the positive ones will actually be almost forgotten or dismissed. But that one negative one is what's going to occupy most of your mind share and the energy. So finding that balance where, yes, you know, we already talk about what's wrong and what's not working and what's challenging and all that. So um, having the time where you talk uh, about personal wins, highlights and, um, you know, how things are working well is super important. And the final one is uh, that time and space for social connection rituals. Um, again, you know, speaking about how we build trust, how we do engage with each other on a human level, how do you make it? Um, you know, so that your team doesn't feel like, oh, it's Monday. And again, it's not all up to you. You know, there is the, a lot of the elements that um, a person can do on the individual level, but it absolutely makes it so much more fun and pleasurable and positive to work in the environment where you all kind of enjoy being around each other and doing that work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Julie, you have been amazing and so informative. Thank you for sharing your insights and experience with us. How can we stay connected with you? Uh, LinkedIn would be the best place. I am pretty active on the platform. I share a lot of those insights and things uh, quite regularly there as well. So uh, you could just, uh, yeah, I guess uh, look me up on LinkedIn, Julie Starovoitova. I mean, if you're able to spell my name, um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be the best place. Cool. I will link all of that in the show notes for anyone that can't spell your name. Um, <laughs> and then... What's one piece of advice you'd have for, for the listeners now? Look, just, I think, small, consistent action, basically, you know, like don't give your power away. You know, remember that, yes, whilst there's no one single silver bullet, that's also a good thing because that means that you have many, many chances every single day to make a positive difference, no matter what it is and in what space that is. So remember that small, consistent action, um, and bring give yourself back that power uh, that you can you can make changes and you can you can uh, do things that are that are gonna lead to positive outcomes. Don't give your power away. We heard it right here with Julie. Look, Julie, <laughs> I love our chat. I always get so much out of it. Thank you so much for coming on the Product Edge. Thank you. That was a lot of fun, and I yeah lo lo loved being with you here today. It was awesome. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for listening to The Product Edge brought to you by Middleton Executive. You can head to theproductedge.com.au to subscribe to Australia's number one podcast for all things product management. I would love for you to subscribe, rate and leave us a review. Until next time, I look forward to introducing you to more product leaders, entrepreneurs, creators and hustlers who will share their insights and experiences to help you level up and reach your full potential.